Hey, Richard Gottlieb. Chris Byrne. How you doing? I'm doing great. We're going to talk about the great Garlu. We are. But first, this is the Playground Podcast with me, Chris Byrne, my co-host and cohort, Richard Gottlieb. We are brought to you by Global Toy Experts, the Toy Guy, and marketing and media agency, Chizcom. And we are very pleased to welcome back Brian Volk-Weiss, who most of you know from his great series, The Toys That Made Us, A Toy Store Near You. And now Brian has been sucked in because he's starting <laughs> <laughs> he's starting his own toy company. And and Brian, is that because you wanted collectibles that you couldn't find? <laughs> you know, I know you're joking and it's funny. Um, <laughs> it's always for us. It, it's always organic. You know, we started off with stand up specials. Then we went into documentaries. Then we went into scripted and you start to meet people. So because of toys that made us, we started meeting people. And, you know, it's interesting, you know, like I didn't go to business school. I've never worked at a big company. So I don't know how it gets done anywhere else. But for me, at least, you know, I'm out in the world, I meet somebody, they tell me about an opportunity. Every now and then I can't stop thinking about it. And then if I can't stop thinking about it, we pursue the opportunity. You know, we were going along just fine. Everything was good. And then this guy, Michael Goodman, uh, reached out to me and Goodman was like, hey, I think we could do some cool stuff together. So we did like some kind of consulting deal. I'll be completely honest with you. I I wasn't even completely sold on everything, but I I really respected Goodman's tenacity. So I'm like, you know what? Tenacious people are really hard to find. The deal he wants to make is really no risk for me. Let's try it. And I called him up one day and I'm like, listen, dude, I got good news and bad news. Good news. I think the deal is working really well that we have together. Bad news. I think the deal is working really well together that we have together. (laughs) And I don't want to do this anymore unless you're an employee and we're working together. Right. And he just started lining up these IPs and RoboForce, I think Power Lords was the first one we got, but we got RoboForce right after that. And it, you know, we're putting it together as a TV show. We're packaging it. We're doing a lot of the stuff we've always done as it relates to selling TV shows. But while all that was going on, Another old friend of mine, not that old, it was only about three or four years, but, you know, I knew David Vonner because we had interviewed him uh, for Toys That Made Us when he was running Boys Toys for Mattel. Right. And, you know, we were starting to be like, we got the IP, we love toys, we got the money coming in to do this, why don't we just make the toys? So Vonner agreed to sign up with us. And all of a sudden, I got to give Rich Myrick and, you know, Katie Ramsey, a lot of other people, Brian Adams, not the singer. Uh, I got to give a lot of people a lot of credit because this stuff has a lot of moving parts. But I'll be honest with you. I just woke up one morning and it was like, oh, shit, I guess we're making toys. Let's get into the nitty gritty a little bit. Tell people the name of the company. Give us some idea of what kind of products you're making. When will they be available? 
Sure. So um, the name of the company is the Nacelle Company. Uh, the toy imprint is Nacelle Toys, believe it or not. I got to keep it a little bit of a surprise, but we are announcing the for our first official pre-sale uh, very soon. And are you going direct to consumer? Is I, I know you've got a, a shop online, an online shop that's already selling some memorabilia. Are, are you going direct to consumer or are you going through traditional retail channels? As of now, our intention is to do both. There's basically going to be tiers of as we're announcing, you know, who can buy what as we move along. But, you know, I just I want to stress we've never done this before. <laughs> So everything I'm saying to you today, first of all, it might not be true on Monday. Right. Second of all, there's a very good chance we try this. Parts of it work, parts of it don't. And we'll replicate what works and we'll stop doing what doesn't. Will you be in Dallas or at the licensing show in Las Vegas? Likely Las Vegas, possible Dallas. So who is your consumer? Who are you hoping to attract to this toy company? I believe in 2022, largely thanks to Marvel, um, with an honorary shout out, of course, to Star Wars, I, I think there is a way to make products that appeal to almost everybody. Do I think we're going to get five-year-olds? No. Do I think we're going to get 75-year-olds? No. Do we want women? Yes. Do we want young men and young boys? Yes. And the way you do that, and the reason I think what we're doing is going to work, from the get-go, everything we're doing is story-based. And looking at your lineup so far, a number of the properties appear to be out of the 1980s. I think the Great Galoob is, uh, is from the 60s. So these uh, are going to be nostalgic. Whether you're targeting these people or not, it's going to be very nostalgic for people in their 40s, 50s, 60s. Will the storylines and the characters be true to the original, or will there be big differences? It's a great question. So I uh, Garlu was massively popular. You're absolutely right about that. Everything else we're doing was not. I have never met a RoboForce fan in my life. I... Other than weirdos like me, I've never met a Power Lords fan in my life. These were not popular brands. These were failures. RoboForce was a massive failure. Power Lords, massive failure. So what we're trying to do is show respect to what they were, but completely reinvent what they're going to be. I don't know what the original plot of RoboForce was. I've read the comic books. I have one of them right here. I watched the cartoon. It, I think it was unwatchable. Hey. We are starting from scratch. We have a plot line that we created out of thin air, and we're going to hope that people like it. They may not, but we're not going to be beholden to what I think was an awful 22-minute cartoon. I have a RoboForce story because before it was at Mattel, it was actually at Ideal, and I was a very young PR guy working at ideal and i took a, an editor through the line at toy fair and i told her the whole backstory and she looked at me and said get out of this business <laughs> 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 because it, it and, and i think that that line basically was the nail in the coffin of cbs toys at the time I, i'm glad you uh, i'm glad you said that chris because you reminded me of something 
again, trying to find this balance between showing respect to the old, but reinventing it, the plot line that we've come up with for RoboForce is based on what actually happened to RoboForce. So the same way they were announced on Tuesday at Toy Fair, and then on Thursday, Transformers was announced, which is what destroyed RoboForce. That's the inspiration for our RoboForce storyline. So we're trying to do stuff like that to get the best of both worlds. That is very meta. I really like it. (laughs) It is very meta. (laughs) Salespeople, do you have uh, a management structure in place? Do you have uh, retail customers? Where are you in the process? So because our company does a lot of things before we jumped into the toy pool, we have a lot of people that do those jobs. So we've hired a couple extra people to start the toy business, but we didn't have to start new departments to answer your first question. Second question, yeah, I mean, we've been talking to a combination of big stores, the big box brick and mortars. We've been talking to the online toy companies. And I don't know if you know this or not, but we've built a independent toy store network. And that's a big part of our plans as well. So we're going to be selling to all three. Yes, we have been talking to all of them. Ultimately, once all that gets started, then we go to the public and they get to pre-buy as well if they want to. I think one of the things that's fascinating about what you're talking about is you say you don't know what you're doing or that you're new to this and you've never done it before, but you're making it up as you go along. And if you look at the history of the toy industry, really from the 50s, post-World War II into the 60s, that's what those guys were doing too. That's how Whammo was created. So it's, it's not a business that lends itself to business school modeling. It's a business that lends itself to, hey, let's try this. It seems like a good idea. First of all, I agree with you and you're absolutely right. And I also think that what you just described is how it used to be. And I feel like a lot of that kind of attitude has been lost. I think there's a lot of fear in business on our planet at the moment. And I think a lot of what we're doing may seem crazy because like nobody just does what you said about whammo. Like people don't do that anymore. So Yes, I don't know what the hell I'm doing in toys because I've never done it before, but I've built a couple businesses from scratch and there's a lot of commonality between businesses, even if the end result is apples and oranges. I think because your experience is in entertainment, there's a lot of correlation between entertainment and how people consume entertainment and how people find and consume toys because people become very loyal once they once they buy into a franchise. And that seems to be what you're doing is is kind of a franchise building, character IP building strategy. So let me ask you, what categories of products are you playing? We're basically starting with 10-inch, gorgeous, crazy articulation around a high 30 to high 40 price point. We're eventually going to be working our way down the value chain and making more and more cost-effective versions. That's the first thing. But I mean, we're already selling t-shirts, pins. We want to support the toys with easier merchandise. Again, if if we think it's something people will enjoy and we think it's something we're not going to lose money on, 
we're probably going to try it. Do you plan on licensing rights out to other companies? Absolutely. We've done deals with Funko. We just had a Garlu Funko come out. We've done deals with Super 7. Absolutely. I wanted to ask you about your Funko thing because it was a a Funko Pop collection for the great Garlu. It was limited to a thousand pieces. How strategic is that for you engaging engaging interest in the fandom element of this, which is going to be an important aspect of what you're doing? Well, I'll give you an answer and you tell me if it's strategic or not. (laughs) You could argue what I'm about to say is the epitome of brilliant strategy or it's 0.0 strategy. (laughs) There's no strategy. I like Funko. I like Super 7. If they're interested in anything we have, I mean, it's an honor, an honor, a, a true honor to be in business with these companies. The fact that Funko is returning our calls I don't even believe that's true. <laughs> I cannot believe I'm in business with Funko. I mean, I, I I literally can't believe that's reality. So that's my strategy. You tell me if that's strategy. I well, I'm not sure if it's strategy, but I do think that it is it is refreshing and it's a wonderful way to approach the toy industry because you're still in awe as a kid. The kid in you is still in awe of what you're able to do in the world. And I think that that's very impressive. You remember that moment, everybody does, but you remember that moment in Karate Kid where Daniel Sung gets really mad at Mr. Miyagi and he's like, I came here to fight and all you've had me do is clean your goddamn house. And then all of a sudden he and the audience realize he actually was training, but he didn't realize it. Uh, I had a very similar moment late last year where literally we're doing all this toy stuff And I'm like getting all these questions and I'm making decisions, I'm making decisions, I'm making decisions. And then I'm suddenly like making toys that made us. I mean, it was like going to grad school for the toy business. (laughs) Of course. I know know why He-Man failed. I know why Star Wars went up and down. I know why Barbie did X, Y, and Z. And it, right or wrong, I could be drawing the wrong conclusions, but it gave me a business, an an honorary, imaginary business degree on how the business works that we'll see if I'm drawing the correct conclusions or not. I think one of the most important things you talk about is the gut. And that's how the toy industry ran for years. Certainly the post-World War II toy industry ran ran on the gut but now people are so scared and that was that was actually before toy companies were publicly traded so you could have a spectacular hit like Mr. Machine in 1960 or King Zor I think in 1963 or or you could have spectacular failures as well and there wasn't Wall Street breathing down your neck so you could actually take risks in a way that public companies really can't today First of all, it's absolutely true. But second of all, again, I've built my entire business by my gut. We're the company that did Ali Wong's and Tom Segura's, Tiffany Haddish's first specials. I I just like to go on and on and on. That's all done by gut. So whereas other people in my position, jumping into a new business, being told, oh, this is going to be a seven-figure investment, do you have the stomach for that? I do have the stomach for that because everything we're at today as a company has worked because we made the right bets. Now, that doesn't mean I'm making a wrong bet. 
there could be a billion RoboForce figures in a landfill 12 months from now. <laughs> but the point I'm making is, which I think is your point as well, I've gotten this far on my gut. It's definitely made a lot of mistakes. Don't get me wrong, but I'm used to it and I'm comfortable relying on it. And by the way, to your point about the public companies, if you ever want to know when I'm starting to begin my retirement, uh, it's when you'll see our company is going public. Like <laughs> I, I will take the company public and then I will get the hell out of this job. <laughs> Brian Folkweis, you are an inspiration because you really are the essence of old school toy industry that blossomed, you know, in the post-World War II years and, and became an American institution. I love hearing what you're doing. We love hearing what you're doing. We are going to be pulling for you as all of these things start to hit to market. And we're going to be looking for your next documentary series or your next series. And uh, thank you so much for spending the time with us today. Thank you both. A lot of fun as always. This is the Playground Podcast, and we'll be right back with the end cap. And now we come to the part of the show that we call the end cap, where Richard and I talk about issues that are top of mind and top of the toy industry. And today, unfortunately, we've got Peppa Pig caught up in the war in Ukraine as a Russian court <laughs> dismissed E1's claims of infringement and basically opening the door to allowing Russian companies to use IP and trademarks and copyrights without paying any kind of royalties or, or acknowledging ownership. This came from a post in Kid Screen uh, on March 14th. And Richard, what's your thought on this? Chris, it, it's really shocking for any capitalist nation to put itself in a position where it's not honoring intellectual property law makes it a bandit country and makes it very challenging for anyone in Russia to do business with capitalist countries. And, and this reminds me, Chris, of when Russia was the Soviet Union and it was communist. And they, at that time, did not honor any capitalist intellectual property rights. So this is really a return to the bad old days. It, it is. And it really does remind me of the of the old Soviet strategies. And even uh, today, and we're recording this on March 17th, Dmitry Medvedev had this rather obscure threat uh, toward the U.S. saying that they may have to put us in our place. And that certainly reminded me of Khrushchev in the 60s. And we've seen we've seen a lot of that. And this is kind of the tit for tat economic war that we're seeing being played out, whereas drug companies and Disney and people aren't doing business in Russia any longer. And what's different between the 60s and now is that we really are an interdependent global economy. So it is possible to actually do real damage on either side economically. If it's tit for tat, Chris, economically, the advantage certainly is with the U.S. and the European nations, which really compose most of the capitalist infrastructure, of uh, which Russia has been for a couple decades or more now. So for them, they are basically being shut out of uh, the global marketplace. And they will be a poor country for that. So who I feel badly for, of course, is the Ukrainians. But I feel badly for 
our toy industry compatriots in Russia who really now find themselves on the outside. Uh, and, and I think it's going to be very challenging to be an effective business in this day and age if you can't engage the international banking system, if you can't engage in honestly purchasing intellectual property rights. It's going to be a very, very tough time for Russian business. I think so, too. And it's it's going to have an impact on the multinational toy companies as well, who in the past 10 years have really been trying to open up their businesses in Russia and throughout New Europe, what they what they call New Europe, Croatia and, and Slovakia and all of that. And then, of course, it's going to have an impact on the kids who are going to have limited choices in toys. So it really does seem very much like the Soviet era coming back again. And somebody said to me today, how can this all be happening in the 21st century? And I said, well, because Russia is being led by somebody with a 19th century military mentality. So I think that's the, the, the issue. And if you read history, Chris, and I know you do, in the 19th century, they said, how could this be happening in the 19th century? <laughs> no, we, we are always shocked when countries revert to ancient and historic behaviors. Chris, Russia is not the Soviet Union. It does not have a relationship with other communist countries that they did at that time, which were economically affiliated. Russia stands alone. And the the Chinese government is caught in a very tough spot. I don't think Russia is going to get a lot of help from the Chinese. So basically, Chris, Russia of 2022 is not the Soviet Union of the 50s, 60s, and 70s, in which they interrelated with communist, other communist countries. And and had really kind of an alternative operating system for their economies. It didn't work very well. Right. But now, but now that's all gone. And Russia is not the Soviet Union. It's, it is now the sixth largest country in the world. It's about uh, one third the size of the U.S. in population. And its uh, economy is a small part, portion of the world economy. So Russia needs the world more than the world needs Russia. And so Russia stands alone. I think that's true. And I think that it, we're going to see how it plays out. And meanwhile, poor Peppa Pig, who knows what's going to happen to poor I, Peppa? I, I cannot imagine. Do you know, Chris, during the Soviet era, there was a whole series of Wizard of Oz books written by a Russian author uh, with completely different stories. Intellectual property will continue to be an issue around the world. I've been really impressed to see what China's done in recent years in respecting it. Certainly, certainly our friends in Hong Kong have been very uh, aggressive in protecting IP. And I think that's necessary in a global economy. And it's just another way that Russia is distancing itself from the world and that's going to be its problem. Well, we will see how this works out. Uh, there is an economic war going on. And as you said, Peppa Pig uh, is right in the middle of it and probably a lot 
more of us will be at least in our intellectual property rights before it's all over. Exactly. And as we always say, we're going to wait and see. This is the Playground Podcast with me, Chris Byrne, my co-host and cohort, Richard Gottlieb. We are brought to you by Global Toy Experts, the Toy Guy, and marketing and media agency, Chizcom. Thanks for listening. If you like these episodes, we hope you'll continue to share them, and we hope you'll tune in next time.